frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. I like the stink of the streets. It makes me feel good. I like the smell of it. It opens up my lungs and gives me a hard-on. Wow. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Film Church Radio, the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday, I'm Lewis. And I'm Brandon. And we are here to talk about movies. This is the seventh and final episode in a very special series where we've gone through the filmography of Sergio Leone. Uh, normally each week, Brandon and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss, but um, for the last seven episodes, it's been all about Leone. And today we're talking about Once Upon a Time in America from 1984, starring Robert De Niro, James Woods, and Elizabeth McGovern. And of course, directed by Sergio Leone, the final film of this series. I can't believe we've made it, Brandon. It's crazy. It's gone so oh, fast. It's crazy. Yeah. We're here. And now. Um, the end of the road. We're going to be talking about the film in depth in just a moment um but first i'd like to introduce our very special guest for the final episode of this series and i hope you don't mind zach i was having a look i was thinking of a way to introduce you properly um and i was going to say something along the lines of our little gang isn't complete but then i looked at the characters that were left and it's cockeye or fat mo and i was like i'm not going to choose either of those <laughs> so <laughs> Joining us to talk about Once Upon a Time in America is our friend Zach. Welcome back, Zach. How are you? Hello. Um, good. Thank you for having me. Thank Hello, you for Zach. coming in. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about Once Upon a Time in America in just a few minutes. Um, but before we get started, we'd like to thank everyone who has been listening to the podcast and sending their love for the show. Um, if you're new to the show and this is the first time you're tuning in, welcome. Um, me and Brandon have been doing this for nearly half a year now. It's gone so fast, uh, and we've racked up a few interesting episodes along the way. So be sure to go back, check them out, give them a listen, um, and let us know what you think. Um, you can find us everywhere at Film Church Radio. And like I said, all our back episodes are streaming if you want to go and check those out. Um, this is a film church, so we do post our episodes on Sunday. Um, and if you really, really like the show, please share it with your friends. More people come and join the congregation. That's what this is all about. Um, and obviously if you can rate and review the show, that would be perfect. Um, what we do each week before we talk about the main film is me run and talk a little bit about the films we've been watching this week. Um, but as we have a special guest, I'm going to start with you, Zach. What have you been watching this week, my friend? Um, I've actually, I guess I've been watching a lot. I'll stick with the stuff that I liked. Uh, I did a stream, a film on HBO max from 1979 called breaking away. Um, which I've sort of been on my radar for a long time. It's it's a coming of age story about uh, uh, a small Indiana town uh, about a, a group of friends who are bicycle racers, and um, it won an Oscar for best original screenplay. It's got a lot of uh, early performances from some notable actors: um, Jackie Earl Haley, uh, Daniel Stern, and um, oh God, who's the who's the Dennis Dennis Quaid, yeah, Dennis oh, nice. Quaid is in it, and all these guys are like nineteen, twenty years old in this film. So it's, you know, they're all baby faces. There's yeah. one guy in their group who is uh, sort of enamored with racing, and um, it's it's kind of about those that that 
that weird year between uh, teenagehood and adulthood. These guys have just graduated high school and they're in a town where nobody really leaves town. Nobody really goes on to great things. And one of them wants to be a champion bicycle racer. And and everyone around him doesn't really believe in him, or do they? You know, by the end mm. of the film, um, so it's very good. I it, I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, that was streaming. I also rolled out to the theater to see the new Celine Sciamma. I don't know if I'm saying her name right. Uh, film, um, Petite Maman, Petite Mem, Little Mother. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful little movie. It was great. Uh, it's like this adorable time travel story i actually i think the thing that came to my mind is it it was like a live action miyazaki film especially those miyazaki films that are uh like uh spirited away or uh ponyo which are like these are films made for my eight-year-old uh granddaughter you know so the protagonist is an eight-year-old girl and and uh it it had that feel to it I, i felt um so a good movie going week for me that's awesome. For the most part. Yeah, Petite Maman is so beautifully understated. You know, I don't think mm, it ever, mm-hmm. you know, tries too hard to pull at the strings because they're obviously there. You know, the emotional beats uh, can quickly kind of take over, but it's just so, it's so beautiful. And just, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot about motherhood and stuff in there. It's just great. And I'm going like to have to see it at some point. Yeah. Because you oh, guys definitely. have both seen it now. Yeah. Well, it's only on playing about it on the show. <laughs> It was only playing at one theater near me, and I think it's gone after this uh, week. Um, they don't seem to keep movies for longer than two weeks uh, of that scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But it was also kind of like I was a fan of uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, yeah. and it was a it was a pretty big departure from that. And I think that was kind of like I don't know. It felt like there was probably a lot of you know dealing with a historical period and dealing with like sort of more weighty subjects it was like from an artist perspective it seems like i want to do something small yeah. but that small thing was like huge emotionally yeah, yeah. De- or you know dealt with so much deep stuff yeah she's a fantastic storyteller on every level mm-hmm. it's great you should you definitely should check it out Bram Bram. i will sort of, when you get a chance yeah. when it's yeah. available it should be. I assume that it's probably going to come pretty quick now that the cinema room's yeah. over. Because I know that it's streaming in the UK and it's been out, you know, other places quite a while. So I assume, you know, they're going to try and push it right. somewhere yeah. pretty soon. So what have you been watching, Brandon? So I have not watched any films, but I have done a rewatch of The Book of Boba Fett. How is it on my... the second watch? Yeah, um, it. It's better. I mean, I still have issues with it. Like, it's not quite as good as Mandalorian to me, but also it's still just season one. My biggest issue, like, not to go into any spoilers, but there's just, like, a chase scene that is super slow in one of the episodes, and it just bothers me so much. I'm like, what What happened? Is that the one (laughs) where it's obviously sped up a little bit? Yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. And and everybody, it's like supposed to be intense, but everybody's just going like five miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? But I did have this thought rewatching it where I was like, this, this show is more enjoyable if you think about it as like a Saturday morning cartoon okay. rather than like your Sunday night drama. Like it's just meant to be fun. Yeah. It's not really supposed to be 
you know, your serious emotional drama. Whereas, like, there are, like, there is the episode, spoilers, that has Mando in it that is emotional. Um, but it has nothing to do, really, with Boba no. Fett. So I think we were all hoping as Boba Fett fans, and especially with, like, the way that the Mandalorian Season 2 ended with the scene that showed Boba Fett, uh, I think we were all hoping it was going to be like Boba Fett as the Godfather. Yeah. You know, and it's just not that. <laughs> I think that there was definitely some, like, I don't know, they set up some things that I thought were really cool and then they never paid off or they kind of just yeah. rushed it and it was over too quickly, but, you know. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's still a lot there to enjoy. Yeah. Like, but, um, yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, you know, me too. Super excited for Kenobi and everything, but yeah, that was it for me. Uh, I well, I did notice one thing that I didn't notice uh, the first time I watched it. There's a post credit scene at the end of the series or the end of the episode, the last episode. Mm. Uh, this shows one of the characters that you think died in the. Um, yeah, I remember. Did you saw that? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Try not to say yeah, who it no, is. I got but... you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Anyways, what have you been watching? It's been, I mean, it's been good. It's been a really good week. Um, so I took yeah. my wife, Chelsea, to go and see Everything Everywhere all at once. Yeah. Um, she wanted to go and see it, and it was still playing, you know, one of the... Have you seen it, Zach? I have. Yes. Sweet. One of the... I We've thought it was okay. It. Thought it was okay. <laughs> really? <laughs> I thought it was okay. <laughs> it was... I, I really uh, liked the... Uh, the first like half hour, forty five minutes or so, I was like hooked into it. That the opening scene I think is great. It's like this wonderful chaotic like it's all the stuff going on yeah. and people talking over each other and it felt very real and uh, very well I, made. I I think I got a little bit bored in the middle of the movie. Mm. I think the middle stretched a little uh, a little long for me. Mm. There's a there's a lot of things I like about it, which was sort of, I was disappointed that I didn't like it as much as I hoped I would because the uh, lead performances from uh, Kihi Kwan and, and Michelle Yeoh are amazing. And I don't know the name of the actor who plays their daughter. Mm. She's like phenomenal in yeah. the whole film. Um, like really, really, really good performances. And the stunt work was done by like a team of guys who started out on YouTube oh, awesome. um, who were like, uh, they would, take like famous Kung like Kung Hong Kong Kung Fu movies and then kind of do like parody short films of them but they would figure out how did they do these fight scenes and they would recreate the fights um and that group of people got to be the uh the actual action choreographers I think they're all in the movie like they've got that that one security guard the sort of heavyset bald guy yeah he's like one of the guys from that YouTube channel Um, so there's like a lot of things about it that i liked and so i was kind of disappointed that 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 it i'm gonna say it i will i would i'll give it a second chance yeah a little bit down the line with some distance from it but uh i thought it was okay how was your rewatch lewis (laughs) i found it so much more emotional this second time than the first time i think because you kind of know that those character beats are coming yeah um so like when certain things start to happen in the third act like you know tears will come in and that like 
I heard a sniff from next to me and I was like, Chelsea's moved by it as well. So I turned round <laughs> and it was the woman next to her and Chelsea was like, <laughs> like <you know. laughs> So she's sitting in between two crying people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I love it. I think that just every time I, well, I've only seen it twice, but I love how it just boils down to a universal, you know, message that's just so yeah. beautifully told. Um, Did, was anything lost to you on your second time seeing it? Because I know the first time, like we, you and I went to see it together, yeah. and it was pretty packed, and like the audience was going crazy the whole time. So I feel like that heightened the experience a lot. So like, did it? Was anything lost with that? Like, I'm assuming you didn't have quite the same experience. Yeah, not not the same. Um, I mean, the, it was a smaller screen, but it was still full. Um, okay, which I was pretty you know happy about um yeah but i mean i i just get lost in it you know it's yeah it's it's really hard to go and see a film with chelsea and not constantly be like is does chelsea like this you know because i feel like my film choices are a little bit more um eclectic than hers so to kind of go and watch a film with her i'm always a little bit on edge but with this i was like i know she's gonna like it so i kind of just sank into a little bit more so the the audience reaction I mean, it was still there. People were still laughing and stuff, but it wasn't. It wasn't quite as crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it wasn't really the. I saw it uh, again, you know, a few weeks ago, and the it was not as packed, and yeah. the audience really wasn't reacting as much. I still enjoyed the movie, but like the one thing that was weird to me about watching it the second time. This is going to be a little bit spoilery for anyone listening, um, but I'll try to be still vague a little bit, but. The part where the the guy runs and he jumps on top of the thing yeah. mm-hmm. and lands on it. Like when we saw it, like people lost their minds. Yeah. And the second time we saw it, like it was just quiet. And I noticed that that part of the movie is just silent. Like when he lands, there's like no noise. Yeah. And so it felt weird. Like yeah. that there was no like sound effect or like anything there. Um, but I didn't notice it the first time because literally everyone in the theater was like busting out laughing. Yeah, yeah it's going to be um, weird to watch this one at home, I think. Yeah. <laughs> because especially like yeah. the scene with the rocks, you know, there's that, it's it's very obviously structured so that it can, people can laugh and then, you know, yeah. you can read the text or whatever. So, but I mean, I love this film. I think it's great. Yeah. So, and yeah. then Alamo was showing um, Rear Window. For their Sunday yeah. matinee, and I don't think I've ever seen it on the big screen. I've seen yeah, I was going to ask quite a few. Um, yeah, so I went along and you know just enjoyed a Jimmy Stewart Grace Kelly afternoon. Um, and it's just, I mean, that is a film that still holds up. You know, it was the yeah the scene where um where Lisa Grace Car- Kelly's character goes up to the apartment and they're distracted, <laughs> and then you see um, Thor Ward like come back to the door i could feel like i could feel the tension in the room which yeah. was which was so good you know just to be like this is i don't know 60 years old now 70 years old and it's still got the same like dramatic tension <clears throat> mm-hmm. and you know me i was driving home from the cinema and i was like oh jimmy stewart was great i'm gonna listen to the vertigo soundtrack and then as soon <laughs> as that first bar hit i was like I'm gonna watch Vertigo when I get that one. <laughs> yeah. So now, I, I did it. I rewatched my Vertigo. Memory is, is 
rear in rear window. Yeah. He, he absolutely does not want to fuck Grace Kelly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is what's but really interesting. Him. Yeah, she is very forward. Um, and what's interesting about watching, about watching Rear Window and Vertigo together is it's it's both of them are so obviously about Hitchcock. I mean, Vertigo, everyone knows that. But Rear Window is kind of yeah. like, he knows that even if he got the girl, there was no way that he would be able to do anything. So, I, you know, you can just uh-huh. see him like emulating that through the character. Uh-huh. And they try and play off like she's too perfect, she's too great, she's too perfect. But it's just his personal impotent feel feelings, I think, that are coming out. Yeah, um, you know. But Vertigo the is psychosexual readings of Hitchcock movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. yeah. There's a lot there. I mean, he was a very horny man. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to rewatch Vertigo again. Ugh. Uh, I haven't watched it in a while. I could watch it every day and still be yeah. very happy. I love that movie. Yeah. It, um, it went to my top film of all time, Sam. So. Uh, from after watching it yesterday? Yeah. I just I just love it so much. There's still so much in there that I can get from it. Yeah. And uh, Kim Novak is just gorgeous, Sam. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. I love it. Sweet. Yeah. So I can feel more Hitchcock films in my future. Because once I start, it's hard to stop. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, I was saying to you the other day that I feel like uh, at some point I want to watch all of the the Alfred Hitchcock Presents show. Mm-hmm. I would like to watch the whole thing just to because he like you know he's the host. I'd love to, yeah his yeah. skits are pretty famous, right? I, I don't think I've ever seen any of them, but yeah, I, he did. I mean, he well, I'm. If I'm remembering correctly, he did direct some of them, but not all of them. So, yeah. but he but he was the host of the show, mm-hmm. so he would come out and introduce, and then have like little funny cutscenes in between, and you know, we'll be right back. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, in his way. Yeah, and his nice little uh, silhouette drawing. That's right. Yeah, with his, mm-hmm. his portly figure that I knew from The Simpsons before I knew Hitchcock. <laughs> ironically enough, really, yeah. <laughs> I think it's the like the third trias of horror. That's how it starts. So, oh, the Simpsons. That's why yeah, Homer Simpsons so much. Homer fits it. Fits it perfectly. He does. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, they keep coming up in reference to our podcast. So, <laughs> well, now we're going to go and talk about our main film today, which is Once Upon a Time in America, nineteen eighty four. Um, as always, we are going to get into some spoilers. We're going to talk about third. And in this case, fourth and fifth act <laughs> spoilers mm-hmm. and um, and kind of character, you know, ups and downs and all that kind of stuff. Um, the summary for this movie is a former Prohibition era Jewish gangster returns to the Lower East Side of Manhattan 35 years later, where he must once again confront the ghosts and regrets of his old life. And I just want to level now, I know we mentioned it last week, but the, the cut that we watched was the European cut. It was the three hour 47 minute one and not yeah, the American or 49. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not the American two hours, 20 minutes butchery that I've been reading yeah. about. So we went, we did watch the European cut, which I think apart from the director's cut, which is maybe 20 minutes longer. It's the most yeah, complete the, the extended cut. And I, 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 I think that extended cut, kind of came out after Leone's 
depth. Yeah, it I think sounds, it was Scorsese. Sounded like it was like right? a like re, like reconstructed yeah. version of of his earlier cut. Yeah, that yeah. was released on video because it was premiered at Cannes, and then the studio cut it down, and just quite right. a lot of that original cut has been lost forever. Right. You know, so kind of like Orson, Orson Welles's Amberson film. So yeah. Um. But yeah, so we watched the watched the European cut, which is. Like I said, probably the most complete one out there. Um, and this film, what, an, what a way to end a career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's totally different to what we've seen before, which I feel at this point yeah. I was kind of begging for. You know, yeah. we've mm-hmm. talked about it. There's Especially watching them chronologically, there's so many beats that kind of keep coming back. Um, and not only do they come back, but it's in the same environment, so it's hard to do it differently. Yeah. Whereas I feel with this, the things that he's been reaching for for the last few films came through. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think they worked really well. Yeah. But so this was my first time seeing it. I mean, I know we're going to get into it, like the the film and everything. Had had you all seen it already, or was this the first time watch? Uh, I had seen most of it. Uh, rewatching it this time, I really like realized that I hadn't actually seen all of it. Um, I think the first time I saw it was probably like ten years ago, and I think it was on two d- DVDs. Mm. You know, the first like there's an intermission, so the second DVD was just after the intermission. I think the second DVD had like a scratch on it, and I kept trying to keep like finish the movie, and it just would not no, like get through a certain like the uh, the scene where um he comes in uh noodles comes in back back in the room with the gang and then he gets in a fight with max and max like yells at carol to get out yeah. like it was just like getting frozen and skipping like the whole scene and i couldn't like watch it and yeah. i was like i'm just not gonna finish this movie right now and then i never <laughs> went back and finished it so so yeah Which first is, time is really it's like only an hour yeah i know <laughs> it's like yeah well it's um, a lot that happens in that hour yeah and and two, it's like it's right after you know the most intense scene of the film, and so yeah. I probably was just yeah. like, I don't even really feel like finishing this, and I just, <laughs> oh well. Uh, so ten years, finally finished it. That's my story. What about you, Zach? Never seen it before. Uh, my only two, uh, when you guys started the series, the only two Leone blind spots I had was this. And his first film, which I still have not seen, The Colossus of Rhodes. Yeah. So um, six out of seven. So this this was a first time for me. I, I think I was always kind of um, turned off by, by watching this or hesitant to watch it, I guess, say, because it probably had more to do with, like, marketing growing up in, like, the DVD era mm-hmm. um, where a, my um, a lot of films that I my, – my first impression of them would be – a DVD cover mm. found in the store. And I feel like this is something that at, there was probably at some point where like it was packaged as like a, a you know, a double feature with something like Goodfellas because they're mm. both distributed by Warner brothers, which is not a movie that they're both gangster movies. That's about all uh, both gangster movies with Robert De Niro in them. And that's about where the similarities end. So I think that I was always just kind of like, I've seen this movie. I've seen the Godfather. I've seen the Godfather part two. I've seen Goodfellas. This is, I, this is probably rehashing things I've already seen. I was just kind of 
made assumptions about it. And yeah. so I just never really dipped my toe into it. Really, though, the only thing I ever knew about it was I knew it was a Leone film. I knew it starred Robert De Niro. And I, I think I knew that it was about Jewish gangsters. I think so. I had that was like a detail that I always knew. But so there was just always something holding me back from dipping my toe. Probably the running time, too. But Yeah, for sure. You know, it was kind of like I felt like this probably isn't an essential uh, viewing. Much, mm-hmm. I was completely wrong about that. Yeah, I yeah. Feel so the, I feel the same way. Okay, so real quick, I mean, I I don't know how this episode is going to go as far as like what <laughs> what tangents and rants will go on, but um, like just for a writ, like every I think everybody should go through and like just kind of say like real quickly how they <laughs> fe- felt after watching the movie. Personally, I feel like torn. I'm like, uh, like they had me in the first half. <laughs> like I really like, <laughs> I really like all the scenes with the kids and stuff. Um, but then ultimately by the end of the movie, I'm left feeling like, what was the point of that? So that, that's just kind of where I'm at. What about you guys? Um, well, um, I, I love this movie. Uh, maybe going in, not knowing anything about it was for the better. Yeah. Um, but, um, this movie had me hooked, uh, as soon as I realized that I wanted a phone to stop ringing and, uh, and, and that was kind of the moment where I was like, what is happening? What is going on in this thing? Where is this taking me? Um, well, from a directing standpoint, I thought this was fabulous. It felt, uh, like very familiar territory for Leone in terms of, uh, shot compositions and, um, uh, editing style and yet it felt restrained you know it 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 yeah. it, it was like there's something familiar about the way he's where he's putting the camera and how he's filming these characters and these scenery and uh and yet it did not look anything you know it felt completely new compared to everything that i'd seen before mm-hmm. um thematically i love a good uh just sort of uh, uh unhinged all over the place kind of story especially when for me, I felt like everything kind of came together. Um, I I never felt like I was left wondering, well, what about that? What about that? It was sort of, um, this is a movie that my impression is the second viewing is going to be even better now that I know where everything goes. Um, So I'm actually very excited to uh, carve four hours out of my uh, next weekend to sit down and watch it again, because I would love to rewatch the first 30, 40 minutes of the movie, knowing everything that comes after that. Yeah. High praise. Yeah. Oh, and great score. <laughs> as, yeah. As, I I mean, was, that's a consistent with Morricone. <laughs> yeah. It's just been banger after banger. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this film is a masterpiece. It, it, it moved me. It was mm-hmm. beautiful. Every shot was just like an oil painting. The The characters were flawed. I mean, America was the most America I've ever seen. It was just, I'd, I don't know. I was like, I've, I feel like I've been a bit cold through this whole series. You know, I've, I've enjoyed them and I can see that they're, you know, well-made films and stuff, but I've never been. That was incredible until I watched this film. Wow. And I was like, yeah. wow. I was thinking 
because even though I haven't watched the Colossus of Rhodes, I was thinking of something that I think you said, Brandon, in your episode on the Colossus of Rhodes, mm-hmm. where you felt like it was like a that movie was a really good like movie for boys, right? Yeah. It was like mm-hmm. you could sit down with your ten year old son and or a little brother and watch this movie, and this is like yeah. a good movie for a little a young kid to 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 get their sink their teeth in, and. I haven't rewatched all of the Leon, the westerns over the past uh, uh, six weeks like you guys have, but jumping off of that, it does seem like there's a progression, especially an emotional maturity that is occurring over the course of all of these movies, culminating in this, which really is a mature and uh, emotional film. Yeah, because we, we were talking last week about how, you know, as soon as the penny dropped that these films are not about, you know, romance, it's more about friendship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I said at the top, I just feel like this this just worked. Like that friendship story just got me, you know, because they were both, yeah. you know, it wasn't ever kind of really explicit that they loved each other, but you could tell they did. And, that you know, that at the end where they come together after all these years and they're both been torturing themselves about what they did to the other person pretty much. Right. It's just, oh my gosh, it was so beautiful. And just like, that was the romance of the story. You know, they, then mm-hmm. they weren't good people, but they had each other and that's <laughs> no. what mattered. You know, I know we're going to get into yeah. the despicable things that happens that they do. Yeah. But that's yeah. another part that I was like, for me, I feel like it was necessary because these characters, like it's part of their character. Whereas with mm-hmm. one, it just wasn't, you know. He wasn't, yeah. like, it just was in there for no particular reason. Whereas this kind of told, told you a lot about the character, you know. I am glad that both of you guys like this movie because, uh, yeah, I just feel kind of a little bit, um, I don't know lost yeah <laughs> so i'm glad that you guys like the movie so you can explain to me why it was good yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but i mean it does feel like to me like it feels like a novel like i you know it's a much lower pace there are so many like details in this movie that uh like it's not really the dialogue there's it, it, like there there's no like I was trying to find quotes for the opening and the closing of the movie and like nothing was standing out. It's like the dialogue is not like a part of the movie that really stands out. It's like it's all the things that it's all the descriptive things that would be there in a novel if yeah. it was a novel, you know, where it's visual because it's a movie. So you have to like read into like the shots and the pacing and what things cut to and where your eye is led and all that stuff which a lot of times end up going over my head because it's just so much like my brain just doesn't work that fast. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, um, yeah. And it's not really like, I don't mind slow movies necessarily, but I do want it to like have meant something. Yeah. Like whether it's fast or slow, like a fast movie can still be terrible too. You know what I mean? But like by the end of it, I, I, I guess for me personally, I didn't feel like, oh, that makes sense. Because the character noodles throughout the film, he's trying to make sense of his life, right? 
Yeah. And I then think... by the end, he he never really gets there though, right? Like at the end, he's he's left still. I think I I don't I think it's more he's just he's having to face up to what he did, you know. And I think part of the poetry yeah. of this movie is that so many films, and I know that you know we've had the Irishman now, but so many films show us them in the heyday. Mm-hmm. You know, but this is kind of the three parts of their life. The most important It's like when the world is like everything is when they're making yeah. the money, they're doing, you know, you know, they're living that mm-hmm. dream. But then we mm-hmm. also get to see the characters kind of as old men with like in this life that they thought they lived is gone, yeah. you know, and instead what I mean, he, Noodles got nothing to show for his life. Yeah, you know he I, he doesn't never talk about any family. He's just been you know sleeping early for the last thirty yeah. years. You know, it's it's not yeah. as glamorous as they thought it was going to be. And even James guess, Woods, it's like caught for his character. You know, Max is he's in this thing now where the only way out is suicide. Hmm. Yeah, I think it would benefit me to watch every gangster movie. And then watch this because, because like we were saying with once once upon a time in the West, there's like some symmetry here where once upon a time in the West, you said was like the most Western Western that you ever saw in the West. Whereas this is like the most gangster gangster that, or not even the most gangster gangster, but it's like it's taken the genre and it's still a fairy tale, but it's also realistic in that like. Like I'm used to watching a film, and even though it being about villains, uh, I'm rooting for them, mm-hmm. right? And it's like you're, you know, it's like the glorification of like um, gangsters or violence or anything like that. You know, all the all the other movies, all the other genres, or all the other gangster movies have done that. Whereas this one, it's like, you know, you get two hours and forty minutes into the film, and then you have this horrible, horrible rape scene. Where you're, you know, at that point, I was like, I mean, I guess this is like just a terrible guy. Like, you know, like, yeah, you know, obviously you you hate him at that point. But then, you know, just thinking about it, I'm like, OK, even like if that was if that scene wasn't in there, I'm I'm actually not supposed to like this guy anyway. He's not a good person Yeah, with or without that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like they're bad guys. Yeah. To, to me, you know, and Zach, I want to get your input because I think that that was just it just showed us that he'd like done this really romantic thing he'd like taken her out to dinner and kind of like bought out the whole place and and now he was like i've I've held up my part part of the bargain now i get paid you know and it's that is that mentality of like this is how my my world is is i do a job i get paid you know and you are the money unfortunately in this transaction and he comes away from it and you can tell that he's like god i can't believe i did that but even the people he loves he's gonna hurt because of the environment he's in. Well, I mean, sex for him has always been something he either takes or pays for. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, <clears throat> there the, uh, I mean, there's like a a direct through line from the first time we see him as a kid, where he's being a peeping tom, mm-hmm. watching her while she dances and undresses, to him ultimately raping her. I mean, every time that this guy's he loses his virginity to a prostitute. That he didn't even have to buy the cupcake for her. Yeah. Uh, they blackmailed the cop, <laughs> and he gets his first lay 
free yeah. because the, they're blackmailing the cop to pay for it. Um, you know, I don't think he's never had sex with with someone that he didn't wasn't taking it by force or paying for it in some capacity or getting it paid for. When he gets out of jail, it's the prostitute in the in the hearse. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as like um, this kind of like despicable character, unlikable character element, I think what was interesting to me about this is uh, there's a lot of times where people talk about gangster movies, and I think like Scorsese gets brought up a lot in this, where as a criticism of those films. The criticism is you're glamorizing the lifestyle. And I, right. I, I think that I, I disagree generally with that critique of a lot of like, at least the ones that I can think of um, as kind of bad faith readings of the movies. Uh, but there is say like uh, a morality to the characters in the Godfather. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's not really a, to the best of my memory is your your characters are defending their family and so sort of there's this sort of morality where everything is for the family and i don't know if i'll talk about the we'll talk about the scorsese movies since they come after this movie but it was really interesting that uh this movie is almost and my knowledge of of like pre-code early 30s gangster movies is also kind of limited but there was this general sentiment of portraying uh the, the general as long as the message was crime doesn't pay you're sort of okay right that, that right. had to be the message yeah. yeah um and i like you mentioned talking about having to see more gangster movies there does seem to be uh, an almost uh a big like element of this film is crime doesn't pay but i'm going to show you in in the most realistic ugliest way possible that there isn't any morality to these characters. Yeah. There's there's nothing to um, to like about them, even as anti-heroes. They're they're there's uh, mm-hmm. uh, they're not Robin Hoods. They're greedy and they they treat other people like shit. If that person isn't something that they can benefit from, they'll stab. You know, the core story here is about two best friends who betray each other. Yeah. And that's kind of like, it doesn't matter how close you are to someone, they'll betray you or you'll betray them. Um, and at the end of the day, your highest moments are getting stoned in the opium den. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's like the happiest moment of his life. I, at least that I, I, you know, I've read and maybe we can get into this later. I don't know if we want to get to it now, but there's interpretations of the ending and how it plays into the portrayal of the sick, the events in the sixties. But my reading of the ending was basically, this guy is pathetic. This mm-hmm. is the high point of his life is getting stoned. It's it's the uh, the only time that he was maybe truly happy. Yeah, because he wasn't himself. Um, he was so out of his uh, own right. body that you know it wasn't him. He wasn't there. He wasn't himself. Right. Um, right. I, I I agree with you that I don't think that this is an opium infused dream. I think mm-hmm. the the cars at the end. And maybe more to do with his mental state at that point and kind of just like, you know, I don't know, wanting to go back and change things maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, cause yeah, that whole opium scene is, that's something I don't feel like we've seen a lot of in cinema. 
So when that happened, I was like, oh, like, we're going to go there. This is an opium den, you know, mm-hmm. and it's packed. Like the whole, you know, yeah. I don't think there's any characters in this film that aren't awful. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone is does something horrible at one point, you know. It's just, it's, it's not a good depiction of America. No, and, and I think a, a good contrast there too but, uh, is the one guy in the group, he's the one who, one who buys the cupcake for Peggy. Yeah. I think that was her name. But he ends up eating it while he waits for her. Yeah. He'd rather eat the cupcake than lose his virginity. Yeah. And that's the guy who later on is the William Forsythe character, right? Mm-hmm. With the, the, the gap in his teeth, who seems like the most horror-obsessed one yeah. in the group. Like, there's a part where he says, like, he'll take his cut in merchandise, as in mm-hmm. the whores, yeah. and he doesn't need cash, just trade it in. I want to I wanna get laid. Um, which is, you know, kind of an interesting arc of, of, of showing the corruption of a kid who, you know, at the beginning just... I'd rather eat this cupcake yeah. that I spent a nickel on. Let, who down the line is, you know, take the cupcake. I want the pussy. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon my friend. Yeah, I think actually that, the scene where he's a kid and he eats the cupcake was one of my favorite scenes. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's just so well done. It's such a, like, I don't know. It's just so telling of that character. Yeah. You know, yeah. but also the fact that he's like, you know, he's just a kid. Like he's a right. kid who's like, he thinks he's going to, you know, go have sex for the first time, but he's still like, he's still just a kid and he yeah, just right. wants to eat this cupcake. Yeah. <laughs> like Huge. Yeah. There's, there's like huge elements of like uh, stolen innocence or lost innocence in a lot of that youth stuff. I mean, the, the, the one kid who dies yeah. is the, I assume the youngest, he's the smallest one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, I I really liked all the scenes with the kids. Like mm-hmm. I I could have could have watched the whole movie with just the kids and it made me really kind of sad that Leone didn't have more movies with kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cuz he seemed to handle them so well. Yeah. I mean all their acting was incredible. Yeah. You know, yeah. like none of it was like oh that's just a kid trying to act yeah you know it it right. felt authentic um and the kid who plays uh Patsy the one that we were talking about um I had this thought of, a, of like it would have been amazing if his older self was Ray Leota because <laughs> he just, he looks like him when he's a kid <laughs> yeah. not that the older actor was a bad actor or anything but was, just the look alike I was going to say especially with the Max character. Is it Rusty Jacobs who plays the younger version of James Woods's? Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't they don't look alike, but they. I don't know how they. You know, you could tell as soon as I saw him, I was like, okay, that's going to be James Woods' character. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, he, he just kind of. Yeah. There's a way. Eat all of them kind of fit their character really well, and it's not like a. Oh, I don't think. I mean, the only upset, the only, you know, slight caveat to that is cockeye is. Like you can tell that the the older version is trying to keep one eye shut through <laughs> through most uh-huh. of his scenes. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, cock eye. <laughs> uh, film debut of Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. Where and 
she played younger um Deborah. Oh my gosh. Deborah, yeah. I didn't do my research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's like thirteen. Or yeah. twelve, depending on when those this movie was shot like over the course of eighty two, eighty three, so mm-hmm. depending on what time what year they filmed the kids scene, she's either twelve or thirteen years old. Well, at least but it's... like it's she looks like Elizabeth McGovern and her do look. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like Elizabeth McGovern doesn't really look like Jennifer Conley does now, but like in the <laughs> in context of the movie, they were like perfect. Wow. Yeah. No, I think in general, the casting of the children is sort of perfectly aligned with most of the adults the where you are able to figure out. And it, the, the second you see them, the second you see her, you know her, who she is. Yeah. Yeah. The only character that I I feel I wanted to see more of is Joe Pesci. I know, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As soon as he comes on screen, I'm like, here we go. You know, I just want yeah. him to be his character from Goodfellas. Every time mm-hmm. he kind of shows up on screen, and this was a much more reserved, you know, Joe Pesci. Yeah, the but still so believable. Table. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, every mm-hmm. time he shows up, like, not once do I, does he not, like reach the level of caliber that everyone else is on yeah, and, you, and he's just got that persona where you can like if you'll say oh he's you know he's a pretty important crime boss you're like okay i get it yeah i can buy mm-hmm. that he's very intimidating you know mm-hmm. yeah he uh he was in talks originally to play max oh, man. but mm-hmm. um but after talking like having a talk with leone leone was like you you this really isn't the part for you. Like it's mm-hmm. not. It doesn't really fit. Um, but he like basically let him have his pick of whoever else he wanted to play. Oh man! Oh, and wow. and he picked Frankie. I would have loved so. to have seen Pesci as Max. Those little scenes where he's like, "Don't call me crazy." Like oh yeah. Oh boy, Pesci would have knocked that out of the park. But James Woods, I mean, did a very good job. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like James Woods yeah. in this film. Yeah. He's got that very kind of, you know, salesman quality to him where mm-hmm. you can tell that people do what he wants because he's very like yeah. smooth and slick and like he's been leading this gang. But there's also, you know, the craziness underneath the, yeah. the fear. Mm-hmm. He was in his prime at this point, too, because this is yeah. after right after Videodrome yeah. and before Salvador. And those are like, now that I've seen this film, that's like three banger performances, like one after the other. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I've seen him in anything else. So he's. Um, I'll have to check out some of his other. Definitely movies. is, uh, I think, a better actor when he's younger. I think that his stuff in the eighties is probably that I've seen, but um, he he's a good like supporting character uh, actor. Like yeah. he plays the dad in the. Uh, the Virgin Suicides. Mm-hmm. That was ninety nine, and he's he's good in that. I, I, it's a smaller role, um, but uh, he's a he's a good actor. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not anymore. I don't know. I don't think he's worked in a long time. Yeah, I, it's it is weird seeing him on the screen because I don't feel like we've seen him for a while. Yeah, like you know, in anything kind of thing. So, but yeah, I mean. He's, well, he he became a Twitter conservative, so I don't think he's. Oh, okay. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> I don't know if he's trying to get jobs in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think the most recent movie I saw him in was like Scary Movie Two. Oh boy! Wow. wow. He where he plays a 
parody of the Max von Sydow priest from The Exorcist. Okay. <laughs> Which he was funny in. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. He's just the perfect, you know, supporting actor. You can tell that yeah, he's probably got a reel of clips from a supporting actor nomination somewhere. Because he does it so well. He plays off everybody really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the Robert De Niro in this reminded me a lot of, I don't know, it's come a lot later, but of The Irishman and his performance oh, yeah. in that. Just a yeah. very, you know, he's obviously not the smartest. <coughs> he's just, he's very stoic most of the time, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he doesn't give a lot away from his face. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think I think this movie has a lot of parallels to the Irishman. Oh yeah, uh, the I mean, just the sort of theme of of the gangster growing old into this sort of sad, lonely figure. Yeah. Um, Robert De Niro in the lead, playing the same character over the decades. Um, the stuff with I mean, that movie's all about Jimmy Hoffa, and this movie has all this stuff about you know the infiltration of the union and. Uh, well, by and, the gangsters and stuff. So in the book, it says Max was based off Jimmy Hoffa. So, oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's that was kind of what the end two I was reading was supposed to be, where he kind of disappears behind the trash uh-huh. can was like uh-huh. because of like they pulled that from Jim- the Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, the parallels are very uh, apparent. Yeah. I mean. Um, are we going to talk about the uh, the bad scenes? Let's talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because we've talked about them a little bit already, but yeah, I mean, it happens twice. The mm-hmm. like, yeah. sexually assaulting someone, um, mm-hmm. and the bit with the babies. Oh my god! Like, I I got yeah. so like angry watching that scene. Mm-hmm. I was like, how could you do that? Like, I understand like to mess with him, but to do it to all of them. Yeah. Oh my god. And then to lose the yeah <laughs> the list. And like, oh, well. oh my god. Danny Aiello is oh. is great. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean the the this movie is very interesting the way it deploys humor because there's uh there's not a lot of humor in it. No. Um mm-hmm. and there's a couple of moments where the humor didn't work for me. But then there's moments like Danny Aiello walking out of the police station with the roses, <laughs> mugging for the cameras, yeah. and he is just like, I'm cracking up. Yeah. I love it when he grabs the guy through the window and then like lets him go and gives him a pat because he knows mm-hmm. that the cameras because, are still there. Right. Because because <laughs> he's having his first, he just had his first boy. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, I'm going to forgive you today, yeah. this time. I love how angry he gets as well with the girls when he's like, he's going to be master of the house someday. <laughs> yeah. And then he, when he pulls the, you know, he unwraps the baby and just like throws it, and throws her down on the bed and being perverted with his wife. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, uh, it's a little. Yeah. He, like he did films. like, he's being just... perverted with his wife and then the camera turns and you see that the kids are right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, looking hard like just horrified all dressed perfectly the same sitting uh-huh. neatly in the corner <laughs> okay so we're walking around the rape scenes that's we went from the rapes to the babies so let's talk about the rape scenes yeah um 
both are just so uncomfortable. And we said this oh, last yeah. week, like, especially, I mean, the one in the car is like, it seems to go on forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like forever, you know, and then. And the driver just keeps driving. Yeah. Until he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. But still, it's like, it's a little late, bro. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, you know, there's... Um, I, I To me, I feel like there's an element of uh, this guy has... This driver has probably driven people where this is happening in the back seat of his car, that this isn't, like, an abnormal thing yeah. for, for him to experience. He's paid for his discretion. And... Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, there is that too little, too late element, but uh, it goes on for so long that even this guy who's probably turned the, a blind eye to this many times before finally can't take it anymore. Um, and that, I mean, a great moment with N- Noodles, who thinks that here, you know, take her home. Try, he, he can just give money to the driver to sort of, to, and the driver just doesn't, and you know. Uh, leaves him high and dry there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that both scenes are meant to be uncomfortable. Um, there's definitely, I, 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 I'm curious to like read younger audiences takes on this film, on, on these scenes, because, um, it seems like younger audiences, like young adults now there, there's a tendency to, call out scenes like this as, as sort of not being you, like you can't include it. You shouldn't include it. Yeah. Um, or you have to have it stated within the film that uh, this is wrong. Yeah. Um, and for me, something like the, these scenes is you don't have to tell me that it's wrong because I know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think too that it's like a level of brutality that you just don't see in gangster movies. And that's maybe going back to this idea that there's no glamorization at all in this film is that you never see gangsters rape women in gangster movies. Yeah. But you know that it happens. Yeah. So, uh, there's this kind of like, um, I feel like Leone is like, well, we need to show all of the shitty things that these guys do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I think there's a different, a definite correlation. And knowing that Leone is such a big fan of American cinema, you know, there's a reason why the public enemy is so well known when Jimmy Cagney like smashes the grapefruit in his girlfriend's face. Mm -hmm. Cause that's Mm -hmm. pretty much as close as they could get to like, you know, sexual assault as right. as we got to right now and that is so shocking still you know it's like oh my god right so i can't i think there's definitely that link there he's like you know this is what we've been trying to tell you for ages these people are not glamorous you know jimmy cagney right. is really cool but he is not yeah he is not the character that he plays on screen well i also think it's kind of telling of just you know, the the fact that the movie is called Once Upon a Time in America, it's supposed to be like, you know, which is a fairy tale title. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I, I'm guilty of, as well of a lot of Americans, of, you know, putting America on this pedestal and like, you know, 
t- turning a blind eye to like the evils that we've done and where we come from and stuff. And I talked about this like with Once Upon a Time in the West. It was kind of the same thing where it's like none of these characters are redeemable. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> like this <laughs> is where we come from. This is this is the story of America in a lot of ways. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's you know, I hope that we've come a long way, but also in a lot of ways, like we're still trying to fight to be a better country yeah. than we've been. Yeah, I mean, in well, recent history, you see films you know? like Moonlight that isn't necessarily about you know gangsters and stuff, but you know, there's a character that's obviously born into this kind of world. And then in the third stage of that film, he is, you know, part of it. He can't escape mm-hmm, yeah. it, you know? Um, yeah. So these films are still being made today. Um, and obviously as, you know, it, I think it's important that he wasn't American, Leone, that this film oh, yeah. is like yeah. the outside looking in. It's kind of like, you know, one, like you said, the fairy tale aspect, but this is like, this is, you know, this is how these people, how people get ahead. You know, you see the rich and yeah. the kind of the people that are prospering. Quite a lot of them are probably, you know, it's backhanded. It's not, you know, through grit and determination. Yeah. I think also, like, back to what Zach was saying about the younger generations, like what they would think of this movie now. Like, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes, you know, rage things show up in movies, like more modern movies. You know, they're not quite as grotesque as this, but usually it it's like a part of a revenge thing like there's a clear bad guy and a clear good guy and you know the bad guy does something horrible and then either you know the person gets revenge or the hero goes and acts revenge on them you know yeah. like i think about like kill bill you know yeah. or for a few dollars more yeah i mean mm-hmm. yeah the rape the rape revenge story yeah, it, mm-hmm. is a type of story um i also uh, yeah it's um I, I'm generally of the opinion that sort of nothing is off limits in terms of like, uh, I don't think there's any one thing that should be ex that has to be excluded from art. Right. Um, but uh, there are far more offensive um, rape scenarios in like comedy movies than yeah. that are far less graphic than this, but are far more, at least to me, disturbing because, I mean, that was kind of like a, there's 80s comedies, you know, comedy films from the same time that this movie was was released where rape is a joke or is uh, rewarded. Revenge of the Nerds, or there's a, I forget which John Hughes movie has a scene where the kid, sleeps with a girl while she's passed out, mm. you know, um, mm-hmm. where the victims are so happy to, to find out that that happened to them. Oh, that it was you or whatever. Um, I find that far more pernicious and that yeah. stuff's not graphic than to basically show it for, uh, what it is in, in this movie, which is ugly and, and, and disturbing. And you, you know, you, you want to turn away or fast forward through them. Mm. Especially that second one for how long it lasts. Yeah. yeah. And but um, it felt like something that noodles would do. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, we've already seen it happen. You know, he, he breaks in, 
they go to the bank and start kind of robbing it. And he's just like, she's like, hit me. And before you know mm-hmm. it. Make it look real yeah. or something. Yeah, and before like you know it, she's, count. you know. she's Well, and, and that that's actually, that scene has a bit of humor that I didn't like, which was, we're going, are you coming? Yeah. Yeah, I'm coming. I didn't like that. And, 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 uh. So there's moments there, 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 there is still, um, I mean, it really just kind of comes down to is like, what, what, what is the reason for it in the story and how are you, uh, including it in the story? Yeah. 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 Well, that's kind of what I said about the film last week, Don't You Sucker, is that I didn't feel like it was necessary at mm-hmm. all. It didn't tell us anything about one at all. It wasn't, mm-hmm. didn't progress the plot. But with this, yeah. it was like he's he's too far gone. You know that yeah. was the point where, I, you know, there was no redeeming this character, right? And whatever was going to happen, he was not going to end up happily ever after, right? You know. But yeah, it, and I, it's, it's hard to say that this kind of scene, you know, is relevant. I guess because um, obviously it never is, but. Like I said, it does it does say a lot about the character, and you know tells you a lot that would have been hard to get across otherwise. Yeah. So a few things that I find interesting about this film, just in terms of Leone, uh, is um, like for one thing, he shoots it in one point eight five aspect oh, yeah. ratio. Yeah, that was a, instead that was a surprise of too. instead of doing like a cinemascope letterboxed mm-hmm. widescreen. Um, and I was reading that he he did that because TV was so popular. He was like, people are going to watch this on TV, and I don't want it to be in Leatherbox while people are watching it. You know, well, they're going to yeah. be like people's head. Like, uh, well, he really didn't want them to cut off the sides of the image and then people like the shot to be not yeah. the shot that he composed, right? Yeah. So yeah. He, he was already like thinking ahead in terms of that. So that it's it's sad that in terms of that that we lost him so early because I think he would be a really interesting filmmaker to see what he does after this you know this is really the only non you know besides Colossus of Rhodes this is the only like non-western that we got from him and you know who knows what he would have done next another thing was um Morricone composed the music like finished the music for it seven years before this movie was shot <laughs> wow jeez so he was like already talking with them and they were you know working on stuff I mean this was before there was a script you know mm-hmm. um, which is just kind of crazy but yeah. um, and I just I love the score sorry to interrupt but I loved how it it had the kind of like grand overtones but at the base of it was still like a child's toy it was still like that little wood mm-hmm. whistle that would kind of play over and everything just kind of, you know, they're still very childish all the way through. And that's, you know, the score just captures that. Yeah. It, oh, it's brilliant. Well, my favorite use of music isn't even Leone. It's Yesterday. Yeah. The most bizarre yeah. version of Yesterday I've ever heard. That, that's the bit that where got only me emotional. The fir- where only the first word. Yeah. Of each verse is, is sung. Because that kicks in again yeah. when Max and Noodles are having the right. conversation at the end. And that yeah. was the bit that was like, yeah. oh my God. You know. Yeah. It's so like beautifully done. I think it's coming in from the party yeah. outside. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just so great. Yeah. It's just, you know, every 
the the friendship they've lost, like what could have been for these two people. You know, they could have been top of the world. I keep quoting Jimmy Cagney, but <laughs> top of the world, Ma. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's oh my gosh, that theme of friendship really. He he just pulls it out. I thought Duck You Suck and Missed, but this it hit. Yeah. You know. Apart from the, the, the awkward scene, Brandon, what else didn't work for you? I think just overall I just felt uh I mean I got that it was supposed to be about this friendship and stuff, but I, I didn't have that emotional um connection to it i guess i didn't i mean it's a movie i think that is supposed to kind of make you depressed like it's a different kind of movie yeah. right it's not it's not your hollywood blockbuster um which i i can appreciate and stuff um but i think because i don't know it, i think i think it might take a few rewatches for me to really know what I feel about this film yeah. or, or, you know, to connect to it. I think I'm glad that we're recording this podcast cause I'll probably listen to it before I rewatch it just so I can like remember kind of how we dissected it and know what to look for and stuff. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is, but I think just by the end, I just felt like, the journey was useless, but I think that's probably what the movie is trying to say. Yeah. Right. Was like, this guy's journey was useless. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the deepest I can go with it at the moment. (laughs) No, I get it. Yeah. I mean, it does, it is all useless, but, so is everything we ever do, you know, as a, yeah. as a human race. It's, yeah, that's everything everywhere all at once coming out of me now. It's like, we're just a speck of, you know, speck of time. <laughs> um, There's so many like little things in this film that I absolutely loved. I loved when he went through into like the, the carnival and then came back out and it was like 30 years later. Mm-hmm. And that was done really well, and because I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine this film, I kept thinking about it when I was watching it being like cut chronologically, right? I th- it just would, yeah. You know, you could just—I just feel you could have seen the the hook coming a mile away, you know. Because I, I was, I was into it. I didn't see James Woods surviving. Right. Uh, that yeah. the first like 30, 40 minutes, whatever it is, ba- basically everything up to when he is now a re- coming back to New York and yeah. he goes up to him and says, I need to rent a car. Uh, everything up to that, that, that whole sequence is my favorite sequence in the whole film from the opening of trying to find him and hunt him down. It's brutal. It's bloody. Um, and then it gets weird, you know, when he's smoking the opium and the phone won't stop ringing oh and, yeah. <laughs> and, and we're seeing glimpses of, you know, I want to say they're, they're flashbacks. They're, he's, we're seeing glimpses of the night before when he betrays his friends. But really, they're sort of flash forwards to what we're, a scene we're going to see much later in the film. Uh, you know, and then finally you see a shot of the phone and 
You're like, oh, thank God. And he picks it up, and it's not the phone that's ringing. I know. All, picks up all that so went through my head so was still ringing. Yeah. <laughs> was when we watched um, for a few dollars more, and you told me you were like, if it, if something's like funny, it's Leonie messing with you. Yes, and that is yeah. just the biggest, <laughs> you know, mind bend. I, that was the moment where I was hooked. Where he picked up the phone, and that's not the phone that's ringing. Yeah. Um, and then just that wonderful sequence of him at the the uh, buying the, the the ticket to get out. I don't, you know, one way ticket. Okay, to Buffalo goes over and he looks in the reflecting glass or the whatever it is. And then we're thirty years later, and it's him again in the same spot. The place has changed. It's been updated. He goes up to the updated version of this. It's a different desk, but it's in the same spot where the old one was. Rent a car. It's just uh, to me that stuff is just. Uh, that playing with with time is really really cool to me. Yeah, and it's um, it's the sort of stuff that makes me. Uh, you know, when it comes to like a movie's plot, I'm never kind of trying to outpace the movie and figure out what's yeah. coming next. But when when you're messing with time like that, and um, it's more of a question of where is this taking me in the grand scheme of things? I'm not you know trying to figure out the next twist. I'm more of, of trying to parse together what all of this means right now and what is it going to mean later? Um, which is why I think on a second viewing that sequence is going to be real rewarding where you're just going to sort of pick up on these things that, uh, and even just going to the the scenes of them as kids, having watched it again and, and, and picking stuff up um, with the little behaviors that the, the different kids are doing, you know, uh, when they're uh, doing their little street crimes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, getting busted by uh, fart face. And... <laughs> Man, it's yeah. I think it's just a beautifully interwoven story about like men <laughs> and just oh, it's yeah, definitely about men, power yeah. and <laughs> friendship and you know. <laughs> time and there's so many layers to it yeah like zach said can't wait to watch it again yeah i think when i when i rewatch it i'll be looking at it with through a different lens because yeah. to me it it i mean i already you know said this earlier it feels like a novel but it feels like it also feels like a movie for well-read people and i don't feel I feel dumb when I watch this movie. <laughs> what? I feel like no, I'm yeah. not well read. I mean, you know, you were talking I don't about know, just you, you know, you were talking about things like the minor, minor stuff, like uh, when the camera is sort of directing your eye and things like that. There's a lot of stuff that I did not pick up. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. when I, at least when I watch a movie once, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there were definitely. Yeah, this is a long movie, obviously. Uh, there were pauses, and then pa- getting back into it is kind of when you've paused the film and then coming back to it. I actually uh, paused the film, and I took about a 30-minute break bet- after the um, scene where he rapes Deborah because I sort of needed that break. Yeah. Not realizing that an intermission was coming up like five minutes. Later. <laughs> You're like, you time know? to go back, and then it's like, intermission. You're like, yeah. ah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so a couple of things from the book. Yes. Uh, someone I I can't remember who was this was a quote from someone and I didn't write down who it was. I apologize, but this is from Christopher Frayling's biography on Sergio Leone. It says, "In the script, you could read something, and it seemed like a nice little scene, but in Sergio's imagination, every scene is huge, monumental, visual, epic." It was always double, triple, ten times the scope of what you read in the script. I say this in in a good sense. Sergio visualizes what other people don't. And yeah, every like literally there was no small scene. No. Like everything mm-hmm. was huge. Um and I did like the sets a lot. I liked oh, I mean this time period is cool. You know, yeah, it's, that, it's a that shot of the kids where they're coming down the street. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like it pulls out, and it's just that whole street full of people, and you can see like bridges in the background. It's just, oh, yeah, it's such a great, uh, you know, just snapshot of that time. You know, I think of yeah. other films based around this, like Peter Jackson's King Kong, and this feels mm-hmm. so much more like smoky and like grimy, and you know. I don't know. Yeah, it makes in. me want to go back and watch Gangs of New York, mm. and and compare because that was you know early, early New York. Yeah, but I think it's even even earlier. <laughs> yeah, the, Gangs of New York is uh, like during the Civil War. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's yeah. the eighteen sixties, um, but even like that compared to something like uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong, I mean. You know this this movie was filmed. Uh, nothing's digital. Yeah, yeah. Uh, compared mm-hmm. to King Kong, where your recreation of New York is all digital. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But even Gangs of New York, I, I'm sure there's digital modifications. But mm-hmm. but they they filmed that on a huge set in probably the same studio that this movie was filmed at Cinecitta in Italy. Mm. So a lot of that those streets and and those buildings those are all there. So there's so in Gangs of New York, there's probably some backgrounds that are yeah, reminiscent that are, uh, that are uh, you know modified yeah. digitally. Um, but yeah, the, the like watching those uh, street scenes in this, where it's just like from a filmmaking standpoint, it's wonderful to watch a movie and just know that is a crowd of you know uh, two hundred people that are actually. 200 people or however many in yeah. you know versus we got 10 people and we multiplied them over and over <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's the beauty of cinema and just that one shot i know it's on the cover of every film every dvd yeah yeah but of them like skipping and like running in front of the the bridge when it's like on the street level oh my god uh-huh. oh my god yeah it's so great mm-hmm. just the city like engulfing them kind of thing so, yeah, oh God, it's beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah. They're little. They're they're minuscule compared yeah. to what's around the them. city. Yeah, yeah. Man, um, something else that Sergio. A couple other things that he said uh, that were in the book. One of them was, "What can possibly follow that dream of America lost? Death, and this new film will certainly be about that. About death, which he was talking about another film that he was going to oh, be making, man. but." That quote is just like, like he died, you know? He didn't make another mm, film, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Which is like kind of crazy. Um, another one is he said, 
Uh, I don't want to be remembered as a philosopher. Unlike so many of my celluloid brothers, I want to be remembered as an entertainer or what you may or you may as well forget me completely. My interest in America, indeed, the universal interest in America is because of the tale. America, to my eyes, appears like a long and cruel Arabian night, which is why my cinema is populated with thieves of thieves of Baghdad, kidnapped princesses, nasty magicians, birds which, birds which sing rock and roll. I must try to tell the stories of Shirazad, hope I said that right, and capture the attention of the public, or the death sentence will be carried out by dawn. Man, he talked a lot about death towards the end. Yeah. So, um, I, I did like a kind of speed read through this last chapter in the book, so I don't have like a ton of details for you guys, but his, from what I did read, his last film was, um, supposed to be titled Leningrad, L-E-N-I-N-G-R-A-D, mm-hmm. uh, and it was something to do with the Soviet Union um, mm. and Nazi era, oh, wow. and uh, apparently the Russians like loved his movies, and he was... He was kind of just going where the funding was, I yeah. think. Like they were <laughs> they were like ready to give him money for something and he was kind of leaning in that direction, but ultimately it never like I mean there were you know, there was already money getting in place and stuff and some casting being done. Um I forgot what the I just blanked on his name, the eighties actor that was in Iron Man 2 that was Mickey a boxer. Rourke? Yeah, he was supposed to be in oh, it. <laughs> and, uh... Hey, Mickey Rourke was a handsome guy in the 80s. Oh, yeah. No, he was... Yeah, I mean, in the 80s... I mean, this was still the 80s, so he was huge. Yeah. Um, I think that, but, you know, we've talked a lot about how where Leone came from and that Nazi, Nazi occupation was a big part of his childhood. So to see yeah. him kind of put that onto film would have been would have been really interesting. Yeah. He he also would have been in really good company because when Akira Kurosawa couldn't get had trouble getting funding in Japan, he he was too lured to the Soviet Union and made Dursu Uzala for uh the Soviets and that won the Academy Award for foreign film that Oh year. wow. Oh wow. Nice. Yeah, I didn't know that. For the Soviet That's Union, interesting. Japan. But yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, uh, that makes uh, a lot of sense. That, but also, oh, if that was happening in the late eighties, that's that's when everything's going to shit, and the Soviet Union is falling, crumbling. Yeah. So, I don't even know if Leone's death would have he could have lived, and that thing still could have fallen apart. Yeah. True. Yeah, I mean, it took him. It took him a long time to get this movie made. I mean, I didn't, mm-hmm, like I yeah. said, I don't have a ton of facts for you guys, but it sounded like the the production of this film just was surrounded by problems. Yeah. Like, it just, it yeah. took a while to get the funding, like, and then the producer who was supposed to be producing the film with him, like, was holding on to the rights, and then they had to, like, re- re-get the rights because it's based on a book but to re-get the rights it took a long time and then also you know once the production was over 
all the recuts and like the studio not one. I mean, right. he had like a six hour version of this movie yeah. that he had to just keep cutting down. And then he got to the, you know, the one that we watched, which is three hours and 49 minutes. And then they still chopped it up and, and it did terribly. Yeah. And at least in America, in the United States. Terribly. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I mean, I was reading that he was, he found this book in the sixties and knew immediately mm-hmm. that he wanted to make this into a movie. And he was in contact with, uh, Harry Gray is that the guy's name? The author of the novel. He was in touch with the author of the novel. Um, like for a long time. Be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for like they they were communicating a lot throughout the sixties and seventies. He turned down The Godfather. Uh, mm-hmm. to make which we were kind of joking make about last week. <laughs> you know that like it, like what would have a, a Godfather from Sergio Leone looked like? Because, you know, based on, you know, besides this film, based on everything else, it's like, oh, it would be like a lot of quick zooms and, you know, close ups of people's faces. But, you know, after watching this, you can really see how his godfather would have been really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he's very uh, interested in a different aspect of the morality of those characters. Yeah. I don't know if it would be the Shakespearean tragedy that that. the film turned out to be. I was actually thinking because I was uh, doing some googling, so I know I don't know how accurate any of these things. I this information that I found was that there was a rape scene filmed for The Godfather between uh, where uh, I think his name is Carlo, the guy who marries the daughter, uh-huh. uh huh, um, who you know when they see that she has a in the film they see she has a black eye, so Sonny goes and beats the shit out of Carlo in the streets. Uh, Carlo is the guy we don't like in that movie, right? Yeah. He's the, out, the, the interloper and thinks he's, he can do whatever he wants, but now that he's joining the family. Um, uh, the, uh, there was a rape scene filmed uh, where he rapes the sister uh, that ended up being cut, um, I think, to the betterment of the film, because that's a movie where it's sort of like, it's already a perfect movie. Yeah. There's nothing, yeah. I don't think there's nothing, anything, you can't add anything to make this movie better. That would have brought it down. Well, it's um, also a movie but, that was heavily, there were there was a lot of different creative people that went into it. It wasn't right. like Francis Ford Coppola right. was, you know, the auteur of the yeah. film, you know. Right. So. I was thinking, though, that that character, Carlo, is probably more akin to the characters that we are encountering in this movie mm-hmm. you know uh, i don't know how much interest leone has in that honorable family aspect of the godfather or i don't know that his version of it would would have been make, like that uh, the because ultimately it's the, the story Cor- of tragedy right uh but there's this um you know there's this element where uh, Michael Corleone is a character who, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, all of the um, crimes that he commits or that, that he participates in are sort of justified within the film for the family. Obviously, yeah. there's that that um, you're not supposed to be rooting for him when he's killing all the enemies at the end. The The scene where he kills the guy in the the, the two guys in the pasta shop is a very grisly, you know, um, <clears throat> but uh, 
there is this sort of warp justification that he's doing this for the family, right? And that kind of like wanton killing and uh, of this movie um, feels a lot more gray than the morality of the Godfather. Uh, the the in the Godfather, the characters believe in what they're doing. That that you know what we're doing is right. I don't necessarily know that these guys in this movie believe in anything. No, it's uh, shit. We stole all these diamonds. They're paying us money. Why don't we just fucking kill them and then we have the money and the diamonds? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. there's no um, code. Uh, despite the fact that they yeah. make their little their their sort of pinky promise over the suitcase, yeah. we see that that gets broken. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I don't know that Leone would approach the Godfather the same way that the people who ended up making it, right? Not just it you know, definitely wouldn't have been the same movie. But you know, we but we can see that like he is he is a filmmaker that would have been good. At, good at being a director for hire. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, we saw it with Colossus of Rhodes. We've seen it from the very start, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's not yeah. a bad film. It It is exactly what the studio wanted. It did good business. Mm. You know, he's yeah. he's very talented, but you can, you know, I felt he's been trying to do this film since The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And I feel like, you know, Once Upon a Time in the West is phenomenal. Like It's a really great film, but you can tell that, he he wanted out. It's not what you know. It wasn't his yeah. passion anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, you can just tell he's like he's dreamt about it for so long. Everything is just like timed. Yeah. It's just what he wanted to do. Um, he got the opportunity yeah. and he took it. You know, it's great. Yeah, there was something in the book that said like. Uh, you know the the shorter version of the movie feels longer because you don't know what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I think it's in chronological order. Yeah, it is shorter, oh, okay. ver- the shorter yeah. version. I think that it just presents everything chronologically, Ugh. which really strips the movie of all of its thematic weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Ugh. Oh dear. Well, I do want to know what you rated it, Brendan. Do you want to guess? Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> three and a half. I was gonna. I was thinking three and a half. Yeah. All right. For Brandon. Uh, I'm gonna guess for you. Four and a half. Okay. What did you rate it? <laughs> Two and a half. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Wow. I rated it five. Oh wow! First five. Yeah. Wow, we really differed this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last week we were like we're so alike on everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> Literally held hands yeah. and skipped out of the podcast. I, I I think that this is. I think my rating will definitely go up the next time I watch it. Yeah. Uh, we'll see when that is, but I think just overall, just like you know, left the film feeling weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Unsure. Yeah, but it's a, you know, it's uh, I, there's a lot to like that. That doesn't, I you know, it as opposed to like um, Duck You Sucker, which uh, I don't really, I wouldn't really suggest people go seek that out, really, yeah. unless there's like a specific 
shot that I'm like, you need to go see this. You're shot a completionist. Yeah. If yeah. You're trying to complete. Yeah, mm-hmm. Whereas this movie, I I do feel like people should watch it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even though I rated it lower. Well, but. I mean, that's yeah, that's personal taste. Into I mean, you, it, there's other things yeah. like I said about you know, for a few dollars, well, not so much a few dollars more. Once upon a time in the West, I was like, I can tell this is a good film, but it didn't. Yeah. You know, it didn't necessarily do it for me. It wasn't like, oh my god, that's incredible. Yeah. So whereas I felt um, this did. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Yeah. I I think I love. Like the music in Once Upon a Time in the West, I think it's my favorite score. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. but like score of any movie. Wow, yeah, that's high praise. Mine's Vertigo, as you can probably tell. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Um, I don't know. I think what we already, is. I think we already both know that this is a five star for Zach. Oh yeah, I don't think we even have to yeah, ask. I'm very generous with my fives. <laughs> you know, but don't feel you know bad for not yeah. liking it it's not no a, uh, i don't i'm you know I'm, it's, i don't uh, i think there's a lot to dislike about this film if, yeah you know I, I should walk back what i said earlier about young people it's not just young these people. youngsters these youngsters i don't want to sound like an old man complaining about cancel culture <laughs> um <laughs> I, but it is it I, is I know like that, i know is, that I, I've been getting into these discussions lately with uh, my parents um, about stuff that we're watching. And I have found, particularly lately, that I am um, just really into unlikable characters and, and darker stuff right now. I'm, I'm not like looking for... Uh, I think the big sticking point right now is Ted Lasso. My parents love that show. Uh-huh. I watched the first three episodes. It didn't really get me. And then it was like the the opposite with uh, Succession. Yeah. I, I started watching Succession and I got sucked in. And my parents were like, my, my dad's like, I just don't like any of these people. I can't watch. And, yeah. and I think that that's a totally, it's like a normal thing, especially right now. Oh, yeah. The world yeah. fucking sucks. Um, you know, uh, you look back, you know, the world sucked in the 60s. And you could watch Star Trek, and Star Trek was like, oh, the future's so hopeful. Yeah. The world sucks right now, but if you're watching like current Star Trek, it's like, the world sucks yeah. <laughs> still, you know. Uh, there, uh, uh, There's nothing, uh, I know that right now, in, at this point in my life, the things that really excite me as a viewer or as a reader are things that are more biting, things that are more cynical, uh, mm. you know, unlikable characters despicable characters even um yeah and and, I think, and know, that is not everyone's cup of tea and, yeah exactly and that's yeah. i mean and that's and even from a film to film basis it's like you can love anti-heroes and still there is nothing to like about the characters in this yeah. film yeah it really isn't i mean the, the most yeah. uh you know likable character moments are probably the kid, the kid eating the cupcake and and you know Jennifer Connelly dancing because there's this pure, there's this innocence there that there's no you know corruption going on while well, she's being peeped on so maybe not but um <clears throat> you know it's just sort of like everyone's lives go to shit um yeah. everyone treats people treat each other poorly they treat themselves poorly in this film 
and and it is a very it puts you in a head a very negative headspace that um yeah kind of makes you want to just suck down some opium and and forget about it <laughs> yeah drift off a, to a better way, place you know mm-hmm. um uh, which is, which I is think not maybe... what I want to do right now. I know. No, no I, want, but, you I, know, know, I want something to tell me life is good. <laughs> I, uh, and I, I understand. I'm worried that. about my pick. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's I, okay. It's okay. I understand we can... that. We're we're in a time. That's why. That's why we go back and forth, Lewis. That's yeah. Right. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's like I mean, Lewis. I think uh, I, I'm not sure if you experienced this, Brandon, but I know Lewis and I have sort of shared that. Uh, there's there's my pick and then there's my wife's pick and yeah. there's a complete right, yeah. diametric opposite there. Oh yeah. Uh, more often than not, I like her pick and she does not like my pick. That's okay. Yeah. Chelsea says sometimes the I, I surprise her. <laughs> Chelsea says that all I watch she... depressing films. So yeah, 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 I get that. Too. Yeah, but my wife she loved everything everywhere. All oh good. She absolutely loved oh, it, sweet. and she loved and she loved Petite Mammoth. So I was like, all right, two for two. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> So, you know, we're getting this is this is the last episode of our Leone series. Uh, there, there's still a lot more for me to read in the book, and and so listeners, at some point in the future, maybe it might take a year or or more. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, we might put together a um a video essay that just kind of like really compiles what you need to know about Leone. Yeah, but maybe we um, could go through our ranking of the Sergio Leone films, you know. Yeah, let's do it. Bottom and then to top, I'll, and, and then, then we can, you know, give a bit more context and Yeah, hindsight. I want to... Um, you want to do the ranking of the movie? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, maybe in like a few weeks we can sit down and kind of go over the ranking again. There's some kind of video okay. essay. You don't want to pick it right now? Oh, yeah, or... we can. But, you know, okay. kind of okay, cool. after we get hindsight, <laughs> just kind of talk about... If yeah. this, you know, if this has changed in our minds once things have sat with us, or you know, yeah, yeah, sweet. Um, I I do want to to like close out what Leone's life because we've talked about him yeah. obviously through this whole thing. Yeah. Um, tell you how he passed. So, in the early morning of Sunday, April thirtieth, nineteen eighty nine, Sergio and Carla Leone were watching television together in bed at their villa. On the Via Nepal, they were watching, ironically, I Want to Live by Robert Wise, uh, Robert Wise's harrowing film of 1958, which shows the execution in a California gas chamber of Barbara Graham, um, played by Suzanne Howard or Hayward, for a crime she probably did not commit. Suddenly, Sergio leaned, on, leaned his head on Carla's shoulder and said, I'm sorry, I don't feel very well. Within a few seconds, he was gone. Carla called an ambulance shortly after at 1.30 a.m., but it was already too late. Although the obituaries were to give the cause of death as a heart attack, he in fact died because his heart simply stopped beating. And he had been in bad health for a while. This was, I was reading that from Christopher Frayling's book, but he had been in bad health for a while, and he, uh, yeah, it, it sounded like he already knew that, death was coming and stuff and uh he he had an opportunity to get like a heart transplant and he he didn't really want to do that and um (laughs) just didn't want to be like physically limited yeah in his older life but he was only 60 and 
And I mean, you look at pictures of him, you know, from the time he even he was making, you know, he died in 89, but Once Upon a Time in America came out in 84. And even in those pictures, he, you know, he's in his mid 50s and he looks old. Yeah. Old. Yeah. yeah. Um, Weathered. Which is strange because it's like Guys people aged. in their 50s now. Guys aged much faster back then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was, he smoked cigars and he yeah. ate a lot and, you know, he was not active yeah physically I always, you know I, I always do that with like watching a, a film from the 40s or something like that and there's like a an old fat guy in it and i look him up and it's like he was like Green 45 Street. when he made this movie yeah <laughs> and he died 10 years later yeah <laughs> oh my gosh so that's that was kind of the end of his his story but i mean his obviously his legacy has lived on and he's yeah. influenced so many filmmakers i mean even while he was alive he was he was influencing spielberg and lucas and mm. scorsese and like the the film brats and stuff and um and then later on like you know the indie filmmakers of the 90s tarantino and rodriguez and yeah. and those guys and stuff all all were heavily influenced by him so um I mean, I'd yeah. like to see, like, uh, I mean, I can't really think too much of stuff that seems like it was influenced by this film. Maybe mm-hmm. The Irishman, I guess. Yeah, yeah for sure. There's so many parallels yeah. there. But, uh, you know. It, it, well, not we... a lot of people, like, you think about it, like, the the American, like, longer release of this movie didn't yeah. reach us until, like, what, 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, home video. Yeah, well, probably so earlier like, than ten ten years, but yeah, I mean, basically DVD, I guess. It's, I assume that the DVD release is probably the first time it got released. Yeah, uh, here on that two disc set. Yeah, with the scratched second disc. <laughs> and so, I mean, <laughs> by the time it was just deliberately scratched. By the time it was available, it's like it. The the market is already is so oversaturated, and it's like who's gonna sit down and watch a four hour movie? Well, that's yeah. our our generation. We have to make the film. Yeah, that is influenced mm-hmm. by exactly. Yep, there you go. And not yeah. the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so throw in that weird uh, version of yesterday into your next Ugh. film, or yesterday. or or a cover of another Beatles song in the same style. Yeah, it's cheaper yeah. to to do covers of Beatles songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's cheap, but it's cheaper. <laughs> yeah, cheaper. I doubt it yeah. is cheap. <laughs> um, so where are we going to rank it, Ronan? I feel like you want to put it at number one <laughs> <laughs> because you you like rated it five. This is your first five star Leone film. Yeah. Like, I feel like you want to put it at number one. But I know um, that we talked about that. I feel like the good, the bad, and the ugly is essential. Yeah, it's like the iconic movie. Like it is probably the you know we're talking about like what is the greatest Leone film of all time? I feel like it's got to be the good, the bad, and the ugly. Whereas like Once Upon a Time in America, even though you know I didn't like it as much as you, I feel like it's it's still it's like his most personal film. Probably it's his most. It's like what hits his life's work as opposed to like his you know what critically looking at like what his greatest film of all time is you know Mm. um so i'm fine with you putting it wherever you want (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. That sounded dirtier than I meant it to. <laughs> but Don't squeeze me, as poop. long as good, bad, and the ugly is on top. <laughs> okay. Um, Still sounds dirty. And I'm going to slide in right underneath <laughs> and put it at number two. <laughs> okay. If that's okay with you. You're going to put it in number two. That's right. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I like where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) In at number two, Once Upon a Time in America. You know, Lewis, you earlier you were talking about the the how close that friendship between um, Max and and Noodles (laughs) is, and I am actually you got my the the uh, the wheels turning. I'm like, I wonder if there's like queer criticism about this movie because I bet you could definitely read the uh, homoerotic subtext between those two guys. Yeah. Especially since Max couldn't get it up, yeah, when he was having sex with the, uh, yeah, the I mean, and then there's the scene where um, Carol is like trying to have a a threesome, like a threesome, right? five threesome or whatever or, she's trying yeah. to do, and he's like, "It's not my kind of thing." Yeah, I think he says, "I'm not that kind of guy." Oh yeah, and yeah. in the following scene, he rapes Deborah, yeah. or he takes her out mm-hmm. to dinner. And then yeah, there's. Um, I mean, in Duck You Sucker, there's, you know, the the ending scene where it's pretty uh-huh. heavily indicated that there was a, there's a middle, you know, triple date in life going on uh-huh. between the three characters. Yeah. So it's not, you know, out of the realms that Leone is, is hinting that there's some homoerotic undertones to films. You know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. Just another reason to watch it, Brandon. Just is there any more clues? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, just, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to talk about like sexually repressed Italians from the twentieth, growing up in the twentieth century. I don't know. You know, it's got to be a lot of sexual repression in uh, in Italian culture. Yeah, from, at least, yeah. at least from Leone's generation. Anyway, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I digress. Um. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is that is uh, uh, Leone, uh, the entire filmography. Thank you for and, suggesting this, Brendan. It's been a blast. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Yeah, dude. I was afraid by the end you were going to be like, "That was annoying." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when when you first teased this miniseries, of, like a few weeks before you started, it, you didn't say who it was, and you said it was a filmmaker with who had directed seven films, and I was like. Who has directed seven films? I did my Googling and I was like, Sophia Coppola, an interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. I know that you had like, uh, you were very deep in the Francis Ford Coppola territory for a while there, Brandon. Uh, yeah. So I thought, oh, okay, maybe they're going in there. Uh, so I was surprised and delighted as well that, yeah. uh, that it was Leone. I was just like, oh yeah, I guess he also only made seven films. Yeah. It's, it and he's not making so any more. Sophia no. Coppola will expand her filmography. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it feels like so much yeah. more. You know, I feel like there's so much cinema that he's given us. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, yeah, um, a lot of that's in the legacy. Yeah. So, if you want to see what we ranked all these films, just visit us on Letterboxd. Um, on on Lewis's Letterboxd, Lewis Walker three zero zero seven. He's got the official ranking of. Film Church Radio. Um, 
But what are we watching? Like what? So what, where are we going next with Film Church Radio, Lewis? What are we watching next week? Yeah, well, I know that you said that you wanted something that was uplifting and not necessarily <laughs> about death. Um, so I chose the film that is most about death. Um, I've chosen The Seventh Seal um, by Ingmar ah. Bergman. Um, for us to Literally watch. about death. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's again, like I said, it's you know a director I've been wanting to get more into, and I wanted to talk to you about it. And this seems like the perfect place for us to jump in. Sweet, I'm excited. And it's on HBO Max as well, so easily oh, accessible. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's what we're gonna. Be you doing. should follow that one up with Last Action Hero. Oh, <laughs> starring. <laughs> Have you guys seen Last Action Hero? I've never seen Last oh, yes. Action Hero. Oh, that's Lewis. Uh, Schwarzenegger, a, there, right? Se, yeah, but there's there's some deep Seventh Seal references in that film. Really, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. So yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Death comes out of the movie and then is is living in the uh, is in the he's a character in the movie in Last Action Hero. He leaves the Seventh Seal. Oh my gosh. Oh. I think now I'm now I'm like, is that what happens? <laughs> Sweet. You have to do a double bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm not confusing it with something else. But... Well, how embarrassing! No, Ian McKellen plays him. Oh, awesome! I love Ian McKellen. Oh, wow! <laughs> wow. Well, maybe we can find that clip and watch it before the show. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You just need to. to... Yeah. <laughs> Um, that brings us to the end of the show. Um, Zach, thank you so much for being a part of this and for Thanks closing for out me. this Leone season with us. It's been it's been great. Um, thank thank you for getting me to finally watch this movie. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> it was a real struggle. <laughs> you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Film Church Radio, and you can follow us individually, as Brandon said on Letterboxd. Brandon is at Salmon Scope. I am at Walker Lewis 3007. Keep up with what we've been watching. We post everything there. Um, we also have all of our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms. Um, so like I said, leave us a rainy review. Tell us if you like us. If you don't, just give us five stars anyway. Um, and any recommendations for what you would want us to watch in the future? Um, but Brandon, it's been a while since we last recorded. What have you been doing all these years? Um, I've been going to bed early. Nice. And on that note, we are putting the Leone films to bed as well. Thank you so much. You better stop squeezing me or I'm going to poop in my pants. (laughs) (laughs) We have to get it in. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on this journey. We hope you've enjoyed it and have a great weekend. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Bye, all. Good night. Bye. Good day. Good day. And cut.